2: Oh, I love that sound. This is a good one. Alright, welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thanks everybody for joining me with me this week you're getting an actual like introduction i don't usually do this usually i just roll right in i just start talking and hit record (laughs) but this (laughs) week for whatever reason i'm deciding to do an actual introduction but i am here with andy reeves owner and guide at reeves fins and feathers so i uh i noticed you by uh via the social medias doing some layout boat hunting on Mille Lacs which is something I had toyed around with the idea then thought like oh my god the amount of equipment I would need (laughs) is ridiculous and never have done it before I was like this would just be a complete utter shit show um so how was the season let's just start there and then we'll back up
1: and then go forward so how was how was this season season overall was pretty good so typically i start my season up on lake of the woods we we will run up there the most of october um this year we had a little later start and kind of hindsight being 2020 we are thankful for it just because the warm weather uh typically we start seeing our ducks come down from canada about that second saturday in october uh this year it kind of pushed back about six seven days so um we got a or later start about mid-October I think around the 15th was our first day this year and thankfully it all lined up to where we had a good season down there. Um, ended there before obviously we got all this this cold weather. Um, got a couple days on the Lacs that was good to get out uh, mi- mid-November for a couple days just with some buddies and then uh, tried getting there uh, right at the end of the season here this last week but unfortunately with the size of our uh, tender boat, we use a 28-foot pontoon uh, with all the landings freezing up in the deep harbors with nice accesses, uh, really limited me towards the end. So unfortunately, when the masses of the Golden Eyes showed up here the, the end of last week, uh, I wasn't able to touch them. But overall, I mean, looking back, I, I can't be upset about this season. We had a very good season, uh, layout hunting a lot of gear, a lot of things can go wrong, a lot of upkeeping to do and for the most part we we got through the season with very minimal uh repairs going going into the off season. So, uh looking back, I, I'm very happy with the year we had.
2: Had you done some layout um hunting before you decided to
1: guide for it? Yeah, so the way this all kind of got started is I'm partnered with a very good buddy of mine Forrest Hugh set. He's uh big musky guy up on Lake the woods. He's absolutely bonkers for musky. Um, And he had a cabin up there. And that's kind of how this started is we would go up trolling for musky in late October. And there were just tons of ducks around. And I looked at him like, dude, we got a duck hunt up here. So the next year we kind of decided, well, we'll go duck hunt in the morning and then transition to an afternoon of musky fishing. And we hunted from shore for, I think two years it was. And we would kill ducks, but it wasn't fantastic. I mean, all the ducks we were really seeing were two, three hundred yards off the shore. And the biggest thing that bothered me was our drake to hen ratio hunting from shore. I mean, it's 10 to 15 hens to our one drake. So anytime we did finally see a drake come into the spread, I mean, we were giggling like little schoolgirls trying to <laughs> just specifically kill that one. Um, but yeah, during that second year, I had I got, obviously, from our guide all over the country, um, connections kind of all over. Um, I've hunted all over. So I kind of reached out to people before I dabbled into the layouts about exactly what I was full on getting into. And after kind of having a conversation with a few people there, I felt comfortable bringing it here. And so I told my buddy, Forrest, I was like, look, I'm going to buy a layout boat. And he kind of looks at me, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like well, what do you mean layout boat and that and so is... i described yeah so i described the concept to him and he's just kind of looking at me like what and lake the woods is a big lake so not many people really think oh hey i want to go sit out in the middle out there to shoot ducks out of these little boats so he was apprehensive about it i dove right in on it i bought it the first boat brought it up there that next year and we took it out and I think it only took us like an hour and 10 minutes to just work through four guys to get a four man limit of Drake Buffleheads, And after that, it was like, kind of looked at each other. We're like, you know, this is kind of a game changer here. Um, the, the way the ducks wanted to work that open water spread versus the shoreline spread was just so much better. Um, uh, you drew, you drew in a lot more, uh, birds per flock, uh, shoreline, you're looking, you know, singles doubles the smaller groups whereas as soon as we got into the open water i mean we're talking anything from your still your lo- little groups your singles your doubles but i mean we've had 40 birds sitting into the decoys in front of uh our layout boats before <laughs> so it's it, it's just kind of a it the way the birds were just drove me nuts so i had to go to them and yeah ever since that first hunt we just we have not looked back and it's been full steam ever since How do you go about picking your spot? Like, do you you go out and, like,
2: um, you know, scout? you see a big raft, you know, and you're like, okay, we're going to set up there. Or do you pick off, like, do you keep the roost, you know, almost more like goose hunting. It's like, okay, they've been roosting here in this spot. I don't want to blow them out of their roost, so I'm just going to hunt off, like, I don't know, 300 yards or something, like, and get them as they move around. Or you just set up right on them?
1: So with, with divers, you, you kind of got to take a different lane than what you do with your honkers and your, your puddle ducks. Um, and it depends on the lake too. Uh, the way I scout Lake of the woods is way different than I scout the shallow marsh lake just south of, uh, where I'm from, which is Roseau. And then vice versa on to that as well. Mille Lacs is scouted different than those two lakes because the birds act different on each body of water. Um, one important i think thing to note and the way i break it down is you have just like your divers and your puddle ducks within those divers you have a subcategory of your open water divers and what i call your marshy divers and those birds will act completely different depending on the lakes that they're in and the depth that they're in now the the cool thing about mille Lacs is especially along that north and that western side you get a lot more of that shallow water and that is what really draws in that wide variety of divers to Mille Lacs throughout the year is you have that combination of you still have your deeper water with some structure out there for them to feed on, but then you also have the shallow kind of sandy, muddy bottom mixed with your more to your like cattails, bulrushes, more where you're going to find bugs and other kind of food sources for your marshy divers as I call them. And that by marshy divers, what I consider those would be more your redheads, your canvas back, and your ring neck. Your open water divers, I consider them to be your bluebill, your bufflehead, and your golden eye. Um, the marshy divers tend to be a little more social from what I've noticed. Um, your open water divers outside of your bufflehead, head, those are the ones that are a lot more picky about which they're going to. But the way it works on Lake of the Woods, what I look for is where are they want to feed. Where the way Lake of the Woods works is typically, at least in the Northwest Angle where we're located, they do have a roost, and it's kind of weird. Each year's a little different, but for the last up until this year, last four years, the birds outside the bufflehead have fed right where they're roosting, hmm. so they don't leave outside of if they're just cruising around through the day. So for four years, we had to head down to the roost and essentially just hunt that. Now the bufflehead that were or bluebill that were using it as a roost would get up and they'd fly another twelve miles into the middle of the lake. Jeez. So they're just going off and doing their own Jesus. freaking thing. And uh, uh, I'm convinced that bluebill are as far as Lake the Woods goes the toughest bird for us to to decoy and kill. Um, uh, I don't really know if it's a badge of honor or not, but we've probably killed three more sea ducks than we have Blue Bill over the last five years. Wow. And you're getting um, some, what, well, white wing um, scooters? So white wings are the only scooter I haven't had out there yet. I've, really. I thought I saw some two years ago, which surprises people because a lot of the ones you see shot throughout Minnesota are the white wings. But we have actually mostly have shot surf scooters. Hmm. And then we have had one juvenile uh, longtail tail uh, was killed up there as well. But the surf kind of seems to be the, the scooter of choice. But I'm waiting for a white wing to come down and mess up so we can get the <laughs> trifecta done for us. That would be pretty sweet. I wonder
2: what the long tails, they must, maybe they're just... Maybe they're coming from like Hudson Bay or something. They're just not going that far west, I wonder. Because I know the Great Lakes gets them um, yeah, pretty consistently. So, I mean, the guys out that do the layout uh, hunts like on Lake Michigan, they get a lot of long tails.
1: Yeah, they do. And I, I'm no biologist by any means, so all I have is theories sitting up here in the <laughs> subarctic circle up here. But um, kind of the, the theory I have is they're following all the, the mussels coming through the Great Lakes. Sure. Uh, so like your zebra mussels, because that's going to be a big primary food source for them. Just like out on the ocean, they're feeding on your clams and your right. other shellfish right. down there. Um, so I think that's kind of really brought a lot more long tail to those lakes to the point now you see a very constant migration every year. Um, with Lake the Woods, the ones we have, are they older birds that just don't have color? I'm skeptical on that. I, I'm more so going to always lean to the fact that it's more of a juvenile bird that got sucked out by an easterly wind out of the Hudson, and then he just happened to see lake of the woods and figured it was good enough to stop that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not a perfect science, or it's not a, like, uh, you know, people think of the migration as like these like hardline routes. Like, they go here, they go here, they go here. But it, it's almost like... Uh, the law of averages, right? Like the vast majority of this species of bird uses this particular flyway. But if you were to look at it, it's like you're going to – like if you could look at it and like if it was color-coded, you know, like the densest, you know, like you'd have like dark, let's just say dark red would be like, you know, as the majority of it. And as you kind of go east-west of that flight path that's just going to like slowly fade out into pink and into white and then disappear you know it's like so you're still getting birds like on the fringes but that you know the vast majority of the birds are picking a certain flight path or whatever so it's really not like it's rare you know for certain things you know like every now and again somebody shoots a in minnesota right like holy yeah, holy crap he's lost well it is it's just a bird right it's just a, like and how often do we? And you see this, you, you know, you. Um, we'll get into this later, but you guide snow geese too. So you know, you've seen like uh, a speck flying with uh, a, a group of honkers, right? And then he's just <laughs> following for whatever reason. The he abandoned his family, or gets sucked into this flock of honkers. Now he's kind of at the whim of where these honkers go. You know, depending on that yep. bird's particular personality, whether he's a leader or follower or whatever. I mean, I'm already probably. more anthropomorphizing than I need to but like something clicked in his little pea brain is like I guess I'm with these birds now you know (laughs) and as the main flight pattern of these white fronted geese crisscross with this migration pattern of these honkers now he's now he's doing the honker thing you know which might bring him to Rochester instead of staying into the the Dakotas and going down into Arkansas and you know that's how it's worked. That's, that's kind of how it works. The vast majority of them all kind of stick to one flight line,
1: but there's definitely some mixing and matching. Oh, absolutely. And with the divers too, And at least your sea ducks more or less, focusing back to the, the old squaw, um, their migration, they're not a, they are a north to south migration, but their primary migration is actually more east to westerly. So your sea ducks are actually all nesting inland. So if you go to the West Coast, for example, um, I just learned this, oh gosh, probably only three years ago. Uh, I had clients with me in the spring for snow geese out from Montana, big fly fishermen. And we got talking about ducks and whatnot. And they're like, yeah, believe it or not, when we're fly fishing, there'll be signs posted around the river. If the biologists have seen a Harlequin in the area, they'll put up signs saying if you ever see any to report them because they'll nest as far inward as Montana. Hmm. And then they'll fly back out to the coasts of Washington and Oregon come fall when they get their flight feathers.
2: Yeah. So, you your know the, your the, buffalo heads are all nesting up there in the um, boreal forests of, of Canada, just sprinkled out to all, you know, if you look at a, a topo map of Canada, it's nothing but just blue dots like yep. everywhere, that's where they're nesting. Um, now, I do know that we that, – well, I'm not talking to you, Siri. God, I hate when my watch <laughs> <one> does that. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that or not, but it's like, what are you talking about? Um, they're always listening. Um, the There is a – like the very southern part of a bufflehead's breeding zone is northwestern Minnesota. There's a lake up there somewhere that has a um, nesting colony of bufflehead's. Yeah, read that in Minnesota Naturalist magazine years ago, many, many moons ago. I was like,
1: really? That was
2: pretty interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it, it shows in our harvest. I mean, on Lake of the Woods, if we could hunt into early November, and that's the tough part about being in the angle is we have a lot of shallow water up there. So that's why we kind of put a hard stop around Halloween weekend. We'll typically we get out of there. I mean, we've been froze out by October 23rd before. So we, we kind of run a fine line with that. Um, a lot of times like this year we pulled out and we could realistically probably been up there another two and a half weeks. But as soon as the two marinas on mainland freeze, if they freeze up too thick, you know, now you're having to break ice on a whole different kind of situation when you're trying to get to the landing versus from the landing oh yeah it's
2: access and and, becomes the
1: problem and there's open
2: water out there but getting to and from it is an issue
1: exactly and every year I got buddies up there that, that they'll hold off until I actually leave they won't duck hunt when I'm up there and then they'll wait till they have to break ice because that's when our blue build will really come down is when the the ice is really coming into mainland around the marinas and uh whatnot and it's just the local guys basically at that point and it's usually one or two of them still trying to get out
2: so but uh, uh i'm just a little bit to the east i just recently moved up here to, to or so i'm by pelican okay. lake and as of um sweat froze up last weekend monday it capped over um and even though it was below freezing I think that Friday before, but it was really windy. And so Sunday it calmed down. Sunday morning had the edge was a little bit iced over. And then Sunday night into Monday, it, it capped off, but I was hunting. We had, was it a Monday off? No, we had a a Tuesday off for, um, I don't remember what to do. Oh, there was a, something up here on the, the res, there was a, a funeral. So they, all the offices were closed. So I went hunting, uh, deer hunting. I didn't think there was any open water anywhere to go duck hunting. As I'm sitting in the stand, I just hear, just <laughs> I mean, huge flocks of golden eyes going overhead. I probably saw four or five, maybe even six big flocks um, go overhead, and I was like, where the hell are these coming from? They must have been on the Rainy River or something that was still open. It's the only thing I could think oh, of. Oh, I'm
1: sure. I mean, it... If there's any open water anywhere, I mean, uh, those golden eyes. I mean, just like the bluebill, they'll wait till they get basically absolutely pushed out by the ice before they have to go. Yeah, um, they
2: they hate they hate leaving. It seems like they, but, <laughs> just
1: exactly. Last year was the first December and January. I haven't been south for the last four years, and uh, I took advantage and I went out ice fishing a couple times. And there was one day right around Christmas time, we went out there, and after we drilled our holes, I was throwing some stuff in the fish house and i kind of looked to my right i'm looking at this bird flying about 150 yards away from us and i had to rub my eyes again because here's this duck flying and it's like christmas time and we're out here ice fishing well pressure (laughs) ridge had opened up and there's a little hole and this the last bluebill i'm pretty sure in northwest minnesota found it and he wasn't Probably there long it opened, it closed up that night on them, but I couldn't believe my eyes on what I was seeing. I mean, we hadn't had a duck up in this part of the state for probably a month and a half at that point. <laughs> so you're seeing bluebills are more like weather migrator
2: versus like I feel like ringers and redheads are calendar migrators. They seem like middle of October they seem to roll no matter what.
1: I I think so. I, I especially on Lake Woods, it just seems like when that ice starts to form, you, you can about bet that if you can get out to big water you're going to find massive flocks of, of bluebill i will say it, this it doesn't
2: there was a few years back um i don't remember what year it was but it was a warm fall it was late november and it was like 70 degrees and i mean a buddy and i went up to malax to go um fish for smallmouth cuz it was it was so nice there was like no wind and it was 70 degrees it was just a, a complete abnormality usually you know when it's cold like that you get a, a warm day it's a strong south wind that blew that that weather in so having a nice yep. no wind day being that warm in late november was just like unheard of but so we're fishing and the fishing is okay we decide we got a wild hair up our ass for like we we're fishing in like the garrison side so like the north northwest side we said oh let's run yep. all the way to the freaking isle side so we're tearing off across the lake and we went through the biggest flock of divers I've ever personally seen with my own two eyes. I mean, it was, it was massive. Like the lake just got up and I got, I think he still has the video somewhere. It was unreal. Like it was sky darkening amount of birds. Like, and that's like the, this was before layout boat hunting was uh, legal in the state. So, but we had that idea then we're like, holy crap. If you had layout boat, like you could do some damage out here
0: you know i didn't oh, know yeah.
2: i didn't i didn't really look at the species out there it was probably a good mix um but it, it was just a shit ton it was it was incredible like yeah, I said, that was late I mean, that was late november though and there was no ice obviously yeah. at 70 degrees
1: Yep, and that's what draws me to those divers. i mean especially out on like malax the way i pretty much scout badges Uh, the, the birds there don't seem to really have a spot that I have noticed that they'll really pick and always go and roost at, but you can about figure that if you find them feeding in one area that you can hunt them there. But what I usually like to do, so when I first get up there every year is just, I have that first day where I can boat around the lake and see what I'm seeing for birds. If, you know, that aisle side has better numbers, I'll go down there. If the garrison side has more numbers, I'll kind of go up there. But basically what I'm doing is I'm just looking where they're feeding. Um, if it's something where I'm seeing a lot of birds say that first day, and we're like, you know what, let's just set up and hunt. All I'm going to do is find where we raft is set up, bust them up, sit right on where they're feeding, and eventually they'll they'll trickle, filter it back, back in. in. Yep. Nice.
2: Yeah, these ones were probably, I don't know, maybe two three miles northwest of uh, what's that big rock island that juts out of the middle of nowhere down by Isle, uh, Is that Father Hennepin? No. Or maybe it is. I don't remember. Anyways, they were seemingly in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I think they
1: were over like 30 feet of water. Yep. And, I mean, that's why – so all the lines I run, uh, I run doctory Lines, uh, which is just a, a thick, tarred line. Um, they just –
0: Very rarely
1: will they tangle. Um, You have to knot them up pretty good and pull on the wrong ends pretty tight to get them to the point where you can't get that knot out. Um, But what I do is, so when you buy them, you'll buy like a 90-foot line or 140-foot line, and they'll have about 10, 15 extra feet on them so you can connect an anchor right to them. Mm -hmm. And what I'll do is, I use the full extent of my line so I'll use that extra feet that they give me and then I just use a simple paracord attached to an anchor so I can hunt anything from I mean shoot if I'm out on Lake Michigan and the old squaw are you know 80 feet I, I'll i get up or you know I'll get out to 80 feet and I'll I'll have lines that can get down to that depth whereas uh Lake of the Woods Mille Lacs, we're kind of looking more so in between that 18 to the 6-foot range is where the ducks will normally hang out to feed. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually I just keep a 25, 30-foot paracord, and then I have knots tied in it so I can adjust uh, accordingly. Oh, sure. That makes sense. And
2: then how, like, having that tender boat, and you're just anchoring those layout boats, I assume. Yep. So uh, and on those the things... heads of the layout. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: On the heads of the layout boats, they do have uh, two D-rings attached underneath. So what we use is just your standard ski harness. And then you just attach the the anchor to there. And the the hardest part is lining the boats up when it's dark and and trying to get them exactly right so one guy isn't further ahead of the others.
2: And are they swinging around? Is it one single anchor rope, or do you got to anchor the front and back to keep you from swinging, you know, like if you, if I anchor my boat to fishing, there's going to be a, some swing, you know, there's going to be some swing.
1: Yep. So these, w- if you do have a wind with you and it doesn't even have to mean much, what we usually like is anything that at no less than eight, uh, if, if I can get an eight to like a 12 mile an hour, like wind, that that's kind of my sweet zone because chop is going to be very minimal typically for where we're going to hunt because we're going to look for more or less the calmer water. So that way we don't have splash getting up into the boat. Um, but like up on Lake the woods, depending on where we're at, we will have current that goes against the direction of the wind. So at that point, we will have to attach an anchor to the front and then drop it down. Um, and that way the boat doesn't try to counteract with that current. Cause we have had it to where the current's going south to north on the lake and our wind is a northwest to southeast and we set everything up and next thing we know we turn around and our boats are already at a 45 degree angle to the spread because the at that point the wind is fighting the current enough where the boats can't turn anymore but they're facing basically uh quartering the wind
2: some so, light bulb just went off of my head so when i'm thinking of anchoring i'm always thinking in the bow because that's what you do with the boat but that would have yep. you face in the wind so you're anchoring from the back so the wind's at yep. your
1: back right yep the main anchor will always be behind your head and I then, may not
2: be a smart man jenny
1: <laughs> but yeah from there i mean it's just like any other duck hunt have the the wind you know, coming right over your head. And then from there, if the boats do want to swing, then I have anchor ropes with different allotted heights on them. So that way I can attach it to the uh, cleat up on the front of the bow and then just throw the anchor rope over once we push the boat. And then, uh, they'll usually be able to stay real straight. Cause on those ropes, you want them a lot shorter than you do on the back. Cause you don't want a lot of drag on there. You just want them to be able to go down, get filled with dirt just enough so they can't pull the front of the boat, which usually doesn't take much. Sure.
2: And so you're, you, are you towing the boats out to the spot
1: or are they in the pontoon? Nope. So that's why we, I mean, we searched and luckily found a 28 foot pontoon. Uh, thought we were probably going to be way overkill on that. But, uh, once you get four boats on the the deck of that pontoon, you run out of room pretty quickly. Yeah, I bet. Um, so yeah, w- with this 20 foot, eight foot pontoon we're able to take all four boats out Uh, we're able to take all our decoys which if i remember correctly it's eight lines so it's roughly 15 to 18 dozen decoys that we have out and i do also have two rafts that we can deploy too so i'll usually run those if i'm running four boats and i run them just in front of the uh, middle boats off of the uh cleat. So I'm actually not even having an anchor rope on those. And then what I like about that is it just kind of helps break up the middle two boats for the birds not to pick up as easy. Mm.
2: Do you, um, does that seem to be an issue? Like, um, you know, it's kind of the, I don't really totally buy this, but I mean, I've caught myself saying it a couple of times. I hear it all the time. Like divers are stupid, you know, almost like, do you still kind of need to stay hidden and still, I mean, maybe not as oh, much as puddle ducks per se, but.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say probably as far as staying still even more so. Um, the biggest thing I always have to emphasize to guys is the headrests in there are not for your shoulders. <laughs> you got to get your head down. You on got to get in there, there I know, for sure. Yep. I, I know it's way down there and mm-hmm. it's a little uncomfortable being that low in the water, but there's a reason that headrest is that low and that's where you want to sit. Um, we 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 get plenty of guys that they just they're not comfortable with it so they still sit up when we don't have a lot of issues with birds flaring but we definitely do get birds that after they're around the layouts for a little bit if you are sitting up even slightly they're they're still going to act like they're going to come in but they're going to peel off about 30 40 yards before that line and then just skirt just outside of shooting range on the edge of the decoy lines
2: and I got how getting
1: into those things, how, how sporty is that? Honestly, it's very safe. Is um, it? I sold a hunt, uh, this would have been two summers ago. I had a guy at the angle that told me that I want to do this, but th- there's no way those boats are safe. So, what I ended up doing with this guy, and we run uh, Waterfall Works uh, layout boats, which is made by Tony Homer over in Piqua, Ohio. And I told him, I'm like, look, I'll, I'll prove to you how safe these boats are. So I pulled the plug on the boat and I pushed it out. So I was probably in about three, three and a half feet of water. And as I'm standing in the cockpit, it's filling up with water. And I waited till that water stopped. And then I started doing jumping jacks and everything I could in that boat to try to get it to sink further or to flip. And I couldn't do it. And after that guy saw me do that, he felt safe enough to
0: hmm.
1: book a hunt that day. Well, that's a pretty good ringing endorsement. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as safety, I mean, I don't trust any other boat more than I trust these boats. Um, I always tell people, and that's why we use the pontoon, so that way it's a smaller step to get down in it compared to like a deep V boat. You're going to have a much bigger step down. So we'll have the guys get right on the edge of our pontoon. Um, I'm up there typically with a hook on the boat, keeping it right next to the tune and i'll have the guys just put their feet right in the cockpit to help kind of pull the head back to the boat and then when they're ready just slide back so basically your knees hit inside the middle of the cockpit and then from there we'll have either myself or uh depending on the size of the group if there's other hands around uh, myself and one other person will be handing the gun and then the bag because that transfer is the most dangerous part at any point in our layout hunt Sure. If anyone is ever going to fall in, it's going to be during the transfer. So we want to do everything in our power to make sure that's as safe as we can. And that's why we don't let anyone go into the layout boats with anything in their hand. We always hand it to them. Yeah, that makes sense. Are you
2: in a, is there somebody in a, a layout boat with the group calling shots or are they just kind of on their own? You're watching from the tender boat.
1: So they are on their own. And that, that's kind of when my job gets Oof. to be a little bit stressful um, just because of our sublimits, especially yeah,
2: bird ID early at that point. With that, it,
1: yeah, uh, with that one bluebill limit. Thankfully, that bluebill limit turns over while we're on Lakewoods before the bluebills come down. So I'm never really concerned about it. And with Lakewoods, 95% of our bag, I would say, it was probably buffleheads. And that's just the migration we get. Um, very bufflehead heavy on our side of the lake Uh, you go to other parts of Lake the Woods and just because it's a diverse lake you'll find all the other divers it's just that they're a lot more isolated on where they're at and you'll have to drive a lot farther to them Sure, if that makes sense yeah no it
2: makes sense you get uh, much for ringers up there?
1: not on Lake the Woods we have killed a couple Um, I do have a spot Figured out where the bluebills have been going. The only problem is from where they're roosting, it's already a 12 mile drive across the lake, and they're going to add another 12 and a half miles. To oh that. my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so How bad the, do you want to shoot bluebills? <laughs> and that's, that's just it. Now, the, the spot that they're going is so remote, very, very, very few people will ever get there in a season if any um it's a very shallow part of the lake it's got a lot of marshiness to it and there it it resembles a part of the lake closer to the south side that does get hunted where i know guys that i mean Del, two years ago i had a guy he absolutely couldn't believe the number of canvas back the golden eye the redhead uh, ringnecks bufflehead. everything was kind of in this area so Being that this is kind of the twin sister to that, it's kind of what I call fantasy land, is Mm. I want to get to it. Yeah. Um, We have plans in place to get to it. It, So we're hoping this next year, now that Canada is fully open, uh, knock on wood and heaven forbid that they never close again. um, But we're hoping it's gonna be a lot more manageable to where it's gonna be a spot where I'll have to actually load up the pontoon every morning and drive through Canada just with the decoys around while my partner takes them in uh, his 21-foot uh, fiberglass Lung GL around the lake. So the clients me won't need to go into Canada, but you will. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and gotcha. and the, the, the reason for that is just so we're not on the phone for two hours calling into Canada that morning trying to get through with our firearms. Sure. So we'll keep the clients, the ducks, everything that day. In Minnesota water, it's just I will take the the road around the lake. So instead of a two two and a half hour pontoon ride, it's you know it's probably going to take me about an hour and fifteen minutes total. But it with the weather doesn't allow for a nice ride on the pontoon. It, it's just going to be a lot better option for us. So we're we're looking forward to hopefully trying that for the first time this this coming year.
2: And so, are you done on Malax as of now? Yes, yep. Because uh, that season's open for there. another week, isn't it, in the central yep. zone? Yeah.
1: Yep, and the, the big thing about that is I did have two days scheduled. Um, they are northwest winds, 10 to 15 mile an hour. Um, when I was there, the last two shore axis landings that could go directly to open water, the one was so built up, of ice and snow from other hunters that there's just no way i was going to back my truck safely down it sure uh the one i did try to get down into thank god there was a boulder where it was because i I actually broke my uh back tail light and that boulder was the only thing that stopped me because at that point my whole the boat was sucking my truck into the lake at this point (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> so yeah I, you, you can about imagine the uh, helpless <laughs> feeling and just going back down the landing uh, into the lake oh man and thankfully i stopped and there was a little bit of salt left from whoever had brought some so i threw it under my tires and i was able to peel out of there but a- after that it just because one of those things where if it was going to be calm those next two days i, I would absolutely taken those guys out of the south side but I'm not going to be able to put layout boats or even I I wouldn't feel comfortable taking people in that pontoon with how wet of a ride it could be with a 10 mile an hour wind going into those waves. Yeah. Uh, I I just wasn't going to take the chance that someone was going to be wet, especially when we're talking real field temps of single digits or sub zero. So now you're, (laughs) you're headed to where I am going to Kansas this, uh, coming Saturday. I, I will be down just outside of Emporia
2: and he, layout hunting or are you switching nope so uh
1: i i work for myself through the duration of my minnesota season so i'm a fishing guide up on lake the woods and i roll that right into the layout boats because it's kind of a nice way to extend our season about another month um but so when i go down south for for ducks now in kansas i'll be working for another outfitter and then i'll get done there and jump on with a outfitter I've been working for the last four years for spring snow geese and I'll meet meet up with the guys out uh in northeast Arkansas to start that ten week season.
2: And who are you who
1: what outfitter is that? So the Snow Goose is Top Gun Guide Service. Okay. Uh the the outfitter I'm with in Kansas is Tornado Alley.
2: Very cool. I like I like your style, just guiding off right through the seasons. So then after Springs you chase the Spring Snows all the way back up, do you go into Canada with Top Gun? I
1: do not. Okay. Uh Top Gun does carry up through Saskatchewan. Right. Uh he he has hunts starting in the fall from Saskatchewan and Devil's Lake. And then he'll take uh kinda of right now is his mid season break, we'll call it, and then jump right into Snow Geese um but no so north dakota to guide there you have to uh to qualify to be able to take the test and to get licensed for your guide license you have to have three years hunting experience in north dakota and you can realistically do it in two years if you buy the right licenses um but then you have to go and take a test in bismarck and they only give it one or two times a year Uh, usually one for sure sometimes two depending on interest and kind of what the state is feeling on that um so i've always just ended once uh our outfitter uh leaves south dakota for north dakota we what i call from my construction days a skeleton crew is what we'll send up there (laughs) yeah it's just kind of the the bare knuckle guys that the guys that go up there i mean they're set in the fields uh you got one or two guys scouting for the guys hunting otherwise i mean everyone's got a job uh, every day all day long uh come north dakota and canada but uh, i usually take because by the time we get out of south dakota we're talking april 1st to the 15th yep so it gives me about a month to come home month and a half and get ready for the the summer season so yeah. it's kind of a nice little
0: break
2: i've been doing that with uh, um premier flight for south dakota um i did do the uh, arkansas missouri thing one some or one season did the whole did the whole works. Um this fit my schedule. I was able to do it. Um that was great. It was a terrible uh, I definitely year for recommend it,
1: but... Yeah, I I recommend, you know, experience in every state. Uh any place you'll have your really good hunts or your really bad hunts. Especially snow geese. I mean it's a it's a whole different ball game come spring and we're far enough now behind this uh bad hatch from uh, what was it? 2018, I think, is the year the bad hatch was when about less than one percent of the mm-hmm. hatchlings survived. So we're we're still kind of dealing with a hangover from that. But you're starting to see that was probably uh, there, the year I did the. <laughs>
2: the full migration it was tough it was like probably like double digits were hard to get like nobody was yes nobody was smashing i don't i i I don't know if anybody shot 100 birds that year i mean i'm sure somebody did but it was that was like extremely rare it was a tough tough season
1: yeah that was the last year i ever actually bought uh, into a snow goose hunt it was right before i hopped on the the guiding trail while I was finishing up school, Mm. but I got a couple of buddies to go and I I had to tell them straight up because they like killing ducks, but they're, they're not into waterfall hunting like I am. So they have no idea what's going on with numbers, any of that. So I had to break to them like, guys, look, it's going to be tough, but you know, we don't know unless we try and thank God we did because we ended up having probably the three best three day stretch uh, that entire season uh between us and the four other groups they were running it was by far the best that they had uh every group averaged 20 to 30 some birds and that was a, you know nothing one wrong, of those years where... or that no and that was a year if you killed 10 you better be tickled pink because yeah. you're not shooting the young ones
2: man i'll tell you as a guide that was that season was like that was the toughest and the toughest part was just managing client expectations, you know, cause everybody's watching YouTube videos and they're seeing these giant rainouts from years past, you know, and they're just yep. thinking, Oh my God, they buy cases of ammo and you're like, you only really needed two boxes and honestly probably <laughs> one um, this season. You know, it's like, uh, that was, that was tough. Like seeing the letdown and there, you know, but, but I'm, but that's kind of how I guide, you know, I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass. You know, I'm going to, yep. I'm going to shoot straight, you know, I'm going to tell you what we're up against, you know? So yep. if, if I'm ever guiding somebody listening and I tell you, we, we we may have a banger of a day, you believe me when I actually think we might have a banger of day. I am not. So if it doesn't pan out that way, I wasn't lying. Like I, in my professional Opinion uh, Everything was setting up for just an epic day, and sometimes that yep. were, and sometimes you get those days, you know. I'm, I'm right, a fair amount yep. of times, but then there are sometimes you're just like, I don't know what happened. There, all the conditions were there for this to just be, you know, blisters on your fingers from shooting, and for some reason the birds didn't fly. I mean, they're wild animals, you can't control them, but that year, exactly, that year was like, if you came down expecting to shoot 100 birds, I got bad news for you.
1: <laughs> if, yep. we, if we
2: break uh-huh. double digits, we're doing really good.
1: when it comes to spring snow geese, uh, the the one thing I definitely hate hearing from the get go is well we were watching YouTube videos before we came yep. like okay, <laughs> yep. awesome. That's so, always So you saw videos from like pre two thousand twelve when everyone averaged like eighty birds a day. But, and usually in Canada <laughs> and
2: usually filmed in Canada. Yeah. You know, in September. Like it's, it's like oh yep. my god. Uh, or yeah.
1: I'll even go as far as asking them, you know, what what state were you watching? Uh, a lot of them will tell me, well, Illinois, and it's like, okay, well, now we got to break this down for you because the, the way <laughs> yeah, they hunt yeah. these snow geese in Illinois is the way you you will not find that in Arkansas because yeah. uh, up I mean up in Illinois they're putting out
2: ten thousand full bodies spread, of, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: 12,000 birds, and it's like
2: literal well, semi trucks full of decoys.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know I tell these clients, you know, yeah, okay, like. They might have had a hundred nine bird day yesterday, but watch for that group again. They might not mm-hmm. kill yeah. another. They had seven. Bird the rest they had the seven year. days where they didn't pull the trigger. Exactly, and the the one day they finally got lucky. And that that's the one thing we always try to tell clients too is the the way we work is we try to find a bunch of feeds in the area. And then set up to work traffic on them because mm-hmm. their feeds never stay for. No. Gosh, if, if you can get them to hit a field two days in a row in Arkansas, you better have a couple people absolutely sitting on that field, and make sure no one jump shoots it, and then get on them that next day because they're probably not going to be in there for all that much longer. It's not even that,
2: it's what the birds do on their own. You know, um, my years of guiding in South Dakota have taught me that we're not even just South Dakota, even the Euros in Arkansas. Um you can chase feeds all you want and you can get on the X and every every client wants to know that you're on the X. But here's what I know about the X. There isn't one. I mean the X the X is an undetermined spot that the geese decide to feed in that particular day. Because I if and you know this as well as I do, but when you go out there and you're scouting or you're just even you're hunting your field and you're watching the sky around you, you see a feed set up. And some days, a lot of days, if not most days, that feed will get up and it'll hop three, four, five different fields throughout the course from sunup to sundown. So depending on when you were driving by scouting and you're like, oh, my God, and you are you go and you get permission, and you're like, yep, or tell your buddies we're on the feed, this is going to be great, blah, 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 and you tear out of there and you go back or, you know, you leave that spot, what you don't know is that an hour after you left, the geese left. Not exactly. only did they bounce fields, they bounced three fields, and they're five miles north where you <laughs> think you're going to the X, and you're not. Those geese are just yep. not there anymore. So chasing feeds, you know, um, man, in the spring, I think you have to change your – strategies dependent upon the weather you know if you get one of those like kind of stale weather patterns where you don't, you know maybe it's a strong north wind or something where you don't expect a bunch of of actual migration or a push then then it might help you to kind of get close to where birds are actually feeding but on a migration day just you just need to be in a a field because those birds again you could have found a monster feed the day before and that wind switches and they decide to move that X doesn't mean dog shit anymore because those yep. geese got up and left. And they're, they're headed to North Dakota <laughs> and the oh, geese you're year. hoping to shoot, haven't got to your state yet. They're leaving Missouri yep. this morning. So it's, it's that's all stuff you got to try to communicate with, with clients. And, you know, it's kind of a hard thing, but it, it is I, man, I was... it's a ton of fun. It works. But I think like what you do, like, you know, getting into a, Um, a traffic area is something I had in my mind back before I started guiding was in a perfect world for me, I would find three feeds. I would triangulate that feed and then I would try to find a field in the middle of that triangle that had the best cover that would hide us the best or the best, you know, best village, best visibility for decoys, plus best hide for us. And then that's where I would want to set up
1: hundred percent. And I mean, look just through my years hunting snow geese, I can say the best example I ever had of birds jumping fields. And I actually finally got to explain it to clients and then they visually got to see it. So we we're sitting up, we we're just outside of mountain city and mountain city is a whole different animal. Cause when yeah, the is. birds load up in mountain city, I mean, man, that's tough. If if you're that first field, that that first flock, when they lift off that refuge and they go to that one, you better get ready, and you better get more shells because the whole freaking refuge, is it's like they know where those birds that flew off 30 minutes before went, and they're going to follow that scent through the air. But So this group I had, we were hunting on this hill. The refuge was probably 15 miles behind us, and you can see, so there's so many birds out there that, when they get up on that refuge, they lift up to go two, three miles high. And when they get so thick, you can see them from even 15 miles away. And I watched the the mass of them lift. And over time, they weren't flying north, south, or away from us, but they kept getting closer. And I told them, I'm like, okay, guys, I think the masses are gonna come back here. And right before we broke for lunch, that morning, We probably had about 100 to 150 K set up in a field, probably an eighth of the size of ours right across the fence line. And they worked that field front to back six times in an hour and a half and then got up and went back to, to loaf. And then I told them, I'm like, Hey, well, since they picked that one, I was like, I'm really excited for tonight. I was like, let's get in here early. Uh, Let's just be patient. And you know, it could turn on like a freaking waterfall, or it might just be a trickle. And sure enough, that night when when the birds came back over and that mob came over to us, just with our spread there, the birds that fed across earlier that day sucked over to us, thinking that we are starting another feed right there. And I mean, it was just you know, you. Sh- you- sat up to shoot you couldn't even go get birds because you shot yeah. if you had a cripple you just yeah. had to deal with it lay yeah. back down load back up and do it all over again load up you cover probably... up those are the best exactly i mean it was just constantly having bird and uh, our flock after flock come in and after that that night when we finally got done they kind of looked at me and they're like man when you're talking about how they feed we really didn't believe you but then we got to see it right and it's like that, that alone just changed their whole perspective of, of snow goose hunting and the way it, it is. Cause you get a lot of guys too, that I've noticed come down and they're thinking you can hunt these things like honkers and mm-hmm. it's a whole different ball. Game. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. That, that reminds me of these, the clients I had in, in Missouri around Mount city. And this was, we were at leading edge. It's just how the, the weather worked. You know, at this point we should have been in, I think this was, this was this last spring. We should have been already in South Dakota, but we had that late spring. And so we yep. pushed everything back, changed, you know, s- hunters that were willing to go down to Missouri, you know, had a book with us. We did that, rescheduled a bunch of people. It was a nightmare. Then so went back, I was down in Missouri, and uh, we set up on, and we were one of the first fields coming up, you know, you come up that big hill, you know, yep. out of Mountain City, and we are one of the first fields right there and the one day we saw i mean i don't know what we had over us traffic wise but they're almost all adult birds right just yeah. maddening and we had to have seen close to a million i mean the entire refuge i'm pretty sure, almost all of them flew over our spread it was just unbelievable but i think we only shot like two birds um you know and i'm trying to tell them like man these adults <laughs> they've seen everything and the one client the one well, there was one bad seed kind of in the group and uh he of course he was the one with the mouth right and he was just mm-hmm. like well where are we hunting tomorrow when ain't going to be here and i was just like you think you're going to do better somewhere else do you have any idea what you just witnessed like you just saw a million birds dude fly right yeah. over the decoys where 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 do you think is going to be better and I know in his mind, he's like he's thinking the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But like, we yeah. just, there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's no guarantee. I could get you on that field that they fed in today. There's no guarantee they're coming back, and likely they're not. Like exactly, <laughs> especially <laughs> at Mountain City. I mean, yeah, you were under those so many birds. birds. That's all I can do is put you under birds. Yep. After
1: and those frontline birds, I mean they'll they'll pick a different field between morning and afternoon. They'll they know the game. They know not to ever hit the same spot twice. And, I, I think uh, those
2: birds just like and I don't know how this works, but I feel like if they see some of them leading birds, I think if they see other birds in a field, they go to a different field. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, like, I think they're just afraid of their own shadow at that point. They've been shot so many times or shot at so many times. I always times. like to
1: I always like to joke with people, especially if we are seeing frontline birds, um, especially when they fly, you know, a mile high and they have no reason to be a mile high except for the fact that they're old snows. But I'll tell my clients, yeah, you see how white they are? Yeah. You know why they're that white? No. No. Why? It's because they never touch land. (laughs) That's
2: right. (laughs) Like they never come down. Never. You know, I've always wanted to try this and man, would this be such a leap of faith, but it would take a, a, a group of hardcore buddies to just give this a shot. Or maybe I need to try it myself. But set up in a field. Don't put a single white decoy. Don't put a single decoy out. Just run an e-collar with with the bombest ass hide you can have. Just disappear. Run nothing but an e-collar and see if you can get those birds. Like, where the hell are these birds that I hear? And just maybe you can get curiosity factor, get them to come look.
1: You know I mean, what I mean? You know, something stupid like that might be where we're at. Cause oh, <laughs> I mean, the, the more we go now, I mean, and you got to try to explain to some of these clients, like especially those frontline birds. <laughs> when when I get kids in the group, I'll look out and be like, how old are you? And they'll tell me, well, 12. It's like, okay, like you're hunting birds that are older than you. Yeah. Some that are probably twice, twice. your age. Twice, yeah. Like uh, we got birds up here as old as me going on 30 years. It's like, it, they know the game better than you and I, because they're getting shot. Except for like m- probably a couple months of the year, maybe yeah, a couple weeks. Three, three I months. Mean, as far as as far as snow goose goes, if you want, uh, you can take the train to an uh, Arctic and shoot them up into like midsummer. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's... so, if you really want, you could hunt them all, but except for I think it's like three weeks.
2: <laughs> yeah, I always tell I always tell my clients I'm like just what you said, and the other thing is like there isn't a snow goose alive that was not hatched out under the spring conservation order so every snow yep. goose alive uh has only known an existence where they get hunted the moment they leave the nesting grounds till early summer till you know till they make that jump from the um aglands the canadian you know the northernmost ag land line and then you got that tree yep. line and then they make that big jump over the boreal forest to the arctic like that's and yeah and other than some subsistence hunters up there they're not being hunted at that point so they, they no. basically get three months off so for nine months straight the moment they shake eggshell off
1: their head they are hunted it, it doesn't take you too long getting shot at too many times to kind of figure that out. <laughs> no. I mean, for me it wouldn't, but I'd also be that first greenhead opening day that comes down below the flock and just gets my ass crammed. Well, I mean, that's I the mean. thing. When you finally <laughs>
2: get one of these bands and someone reports it and it's you know it's a 16-year-old snow goose, you're like, holy shit, that is a true trophy right there. The chances yeah. of that bird actually dying by gunfire at that point, pretty amazing. Yeah, because that I mean, so, thing has seen every spread possible,
1: and, and I think that's the hardest part for me being a guide. Is obviously, so I have my own goals as far as what I want for mounts and whatnot. And seeing these clients get these trophy snows, trophy white belly blues, trophy harasses, it's like man, that'd look really good on my wall, but can't ever take it. Well, thankfully, the last two years Arkansas has had a cold snap come down through that has brought those very frontline birds down to the north side of Arkansas. And I was able to cash in one day just because we had to go check a spread, and it was in the literally middle of the blizzard. And sitting on the edge of our decoys, what, on the other side of the levee from me was a 10-pack. And I stepped out, loaded a shotgun, guy in the pickup behind me stepped out, loaded a shotgun, we dropped all 10 of them right there. And it's like I looked down like, all right. I got my white belly blue. You can pick whatever white goose you want. I'll pick whatever white one <laughs> you don't. But the, the, this is a bird I'm not going to let go because I'm probably not going to ever kill one this old again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's
2: kind of the hard part too. You know, the white belly blues; those are great, beautiful birds. Our, our standard blue is a, a beautiful bird, and it's always like, how do you determine what what a wall worthy snow goose is? Just a straight up everyday. White head to toe snow goose. You know, I know a lot of people yeah. want the big rusted up head. You know, it gives them a little bit of character. Um, but it really comes down to the hunt. You know, how special of a hunt was it? You know, exactly. is this a once in a lifetime hunt? Were you? Is this something you saved for? Is this a kid's graduation present? Is this a birthday? You know, like something like that. You you get a bird that's just not. And it might just look like every other lesser snow that's ever flown. Um, But you get a bird like that and he's not all shot up and he's in good shape. You know, if it's a special
1: occasion, I I would argue, you know, put that thing on the wall. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at that point, especially in the spring, you know, you're not dealing with pin feathers unless it's a Mm -hmm. super, super young bird. Um, But uh, I mean, at that point, it's just whatever the individual at that point, I mean, if it's a trophy to you by all means, throw it on your wall. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I got plenty of clients that ask, well, do you want to take these birds? It's like, dude, I live in a hotel. Like, no, I don't want, I'm, yeah, what no, am I I'm gonna not taking these birds. birds? Like no. for, you take them. What you do from here on is right. your choice. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to know what you do with them. You can eat them, whatever, Mount them. I don't care. But from there, you know, it's your bird. Do with mm-hmm. it as you please. Yeah, as long as obviously it's within the letter of the law, or if they're, yeah, don't to take dump in a ditch. Yeah, <laughs> whatever you do, don't dump um, in a ditch. Yeah, and unfortunately, in Arkansas, you do see a lot of that. Um, but I, mean, I, you know, for me, honestly, I haven't run into
2: it too much. I'm not gonna say I haven't seen it, but haven't seen it too much.
1: It's, uh, I, I would say I see it more or less between Arkansas and South Dakota. It seems like more or less when you get around more of the jump shooting guys sure. it seems that i've seen more of them um it, it seems missouri i think because mound city is so locked up you still get your jump shooters um you might even remember the wma around mound city over there called not away um i know a picture went viral two years ago that was quickly removed um of guys that went into the roost and jump shot the roost and uh they filled up oh gosh I want to say it was six or seven truck beds. It was just shy of like oh 1300 birds. Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, now you know, well, if you have 14 guys, that's a lot of freaking birds. <laughs> you know what? That's You're going to spend three math. days cleaning, <laughs> cleaning birds.
2: Oh man.
1: <laughs> that's so much. Oh my God. It, it'd be fun to do, but I mean, I've been on a decent sized jump before and that was only probably 60 some birds, but, that was even one of those things that after we got done with it, we all kind of looked at each other. We're like, "What did we just do?" Because now we got cripples out to 300 yards. We got to go mm-hmm. hunt down now. <laughs> yeah, so it I quickly becomes that.
2: it quickly becomes a job. You know, the jump shooting oh, yeah. thing is like I feel like you do one really good successful jump, and 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 you're done. I mean, I can only speak for myself, and it's just like I'm okay. Did that? Mark that off the list of things I've done. There's just no. I don't care how many you get. I don't I don't care what your body count is. There's there's just no comparison to a pile of birds on a jump shoot and a pile of birds on a decoy shoot. It's, oh, absolutely. It's not the same thing. It is not even remotely close. to you can beat them wearing. in the field,
1: it definitely feels a lot better.
0: And it's it
2: feels better, but it's also a lot more fun because you're you're like the the pulling the trigger part that like that is spread out through yeah, a few hours. It's, it's just not sneak in there. Boom 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 done and then you're playing cleanup for 3 hours.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that was probably an 8-hour cleanup that day. Good uh, I know god. we had one god knows guide. how many
2: non-target birds were shot too, you know.
1: Well, that that was my question cuz I was still hunting the very tail end of Arkansas that year, but we had a guide actually set up in the field that we lease right across the road from that wma i mean it, you're talking a mile from where they roost to where they'll touch down in our field if that and he said he when he broke for lunch at noon and i mean they lit up right at sunrise you know around seven o'clock seven thirty, and when he left he was still st- hearing triple shots oh, and when God. he came back at three in the afternoon he was still hearing oh, a couple God. more he, he said it lasted until oh, about 4 God. 30 4 45 oh. but Sonny, I mean, that that was the biggest question for all of us and i think that's why it got taken off facebook so quick because i did hear that the federal game wardens in that neck of the woods and the local game wardens did go in there to investigate um i never heard anything come up about it that they found anything as far as Mm -hmm. uh illegal out of season species so if you shoot three 1300 snow geese uh, i'm gonna be skeptical that you didn't shoot at least a speck in there right let alone probably a mallard because they do have flooded corn down there it's Mm -hmm. flooded timber um I, i just i have a hard time thinking they didn't kill something but obviously they didn't get charged for it right they there is no proof there but you know yeah so it's speculation the, at that point the but.
2: COs don't play around mound either like they, no absolutely they, not they they are <laughs> they are hard
1: asses about it. <laughs> knock on wood I have yet to be checked there but we did have one guide where just to give your listeners an example of how strict they are out there they got checked in one field that morning and did a midday switch to another field and that same game warden checked the same group that afternoon. And morning and afternoon, he went through every single box of shells in everyone's shell bag Oof. both times. That had to be a fad. Uh I I thought so, but he said it, it looked just like a normal state game warden. Hmm. So, uh, thankfully, uh, at least on the road, the only game warden I ever dealt with was in South Dakota. And he didn't even come and check us. He pulled into the field because I just got back from lunch and I asked him, well, you want to drive out and check all the guys and this and that? Because, I mean, it's 2.30 birds aren't going to be flying for another two hours. And it, he told me right then and there, he's like, man, I'd written 18 separate tickets to people for killing birds out of season because they're jump shooting. You guys are the first ones I've come across trying to kill them in decoys. I'm gonna let y'all be because I'm just glad that someone's still trying to kill them the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's pretty so cool. I was like, "Well, okay. Well, have have a good rest of your day." And then I walked out to the field.
2: <laughs> yeah, I haven't had any. Honestly, I haven't been checked when I'm guiding. Not once. I've never had a CO come out while guiding that I can remember. Here. I don't think I'm forgetting any. So maybe, I definitely anticipated no, I getting checked anything.
1: a lot more. Just because I mean, being in Minnesota fun hunting the on the weekends or whatever, I happen to run into my local guy a fair amount, especially on like weekdays. So I figured, okay, I'm going to go south and into these much heavier hunted areas like Mountain City. And then it's going to be, uh, I'm probably going to be checked every day here. And shoot, outside of driving through town, I haven't even seen a game warden truck.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been checked a couple of times fun hunting, but, um, it's kind of crazy, I've, and guiding, in your every day, like you know, you're literally out there every day. You think it'd be a high percentage, but don't. I think that also comes into play, like where we, where we sit up shop around Lake Preston in South Dakota. You know, we're on a pretty much first name basis with the CEO, so he knows where we set up, and you know, I think he kind of knows the the routine. But it's not to say that our clients are properly licensed. You know, I mean, you hope they are. You tell them to be, but. I, it's yeah. not my job to check their their license so
1: yeah that i mean that's <laughs> uh, i'd I'd love to say i've never had a client oh or not shoot lead in the field before but i I'm, i do have one specific memory from my first year of a guy talking about in the state that they hunt and i won't name the state but he'll throw in a lead shot for oh them, my gosh long shots out of their pits i'm like well oh, man like you do you, but I, dude, I wouldn't do it here. Nope. And we had these two, I mean, we probably hadn't seen a bird in two and a half hours, and these two come, not even flapping their wings, just coasting above us, and they're probably 65, 70. So I, I asked the group when they're that high, like, hey, do you guys want to try these? And he was the first one to pipe in, like, yeah, man, I want to try it. I like, okay. So I let him get right on top, and I called the shot, and that guy was the first one up. And the way that round hit that first bird, just screamed to me like that was no way was that steel. Because then the rest of us took probably twenty five shots to even cripple the second one. Oh my god! So it was one of those things. I kind of looked at him and like I'm pretty sure you shot lead at that, but. That's your, that's your deal.
2: Right. That's on you. Not me. That's crazy. If
1: I don't have an actual reason to search your stuff, I'm, I absolutely will not.
2: Yeah. That's on you. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, um, you're on your own as far as it's your job as a hunter, not mine as a guide It's your job to understand the rules, abide by the rules. You want to, you want to bend, break rules, I mean, outside of obvious things, like I'm not going to allow you to sh- intense, intentionally shoot a bird out of season. Like that's absolutely. that's me. I'm calling a shot. I'm telling you what to shoot, what not to shoot, hundred percent. But if you decide yeah. to bring a, a lead shot, I don't. I there's no way I'm going to know. I'm not going through your ammo bag. You know. No, absolutely if it, not. If it's in the fall, I'm not checking to see if you have a plug in. That's that's on you. I might say yeah. something like, "Hey, everybody, got your plugs in?" You know. Did you shoot, did you go spring snow goose hunting last season? Did you remember to put your plug back in? You know, I might say something like that. Um, but ultimately, that's that's your decision, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, groups that hunt, so with the outfitter that I'm with in the spring, they have the option to hunt through lunch during our lunch break. So my MP3 is super easy to use. Normally, I'll actually just leave my MP3 rolling the entire day, and I physically will just shut my speakers off.
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i kind of do the same thing
1: yeah and so typically then i can i'll give them my mp3 just in case if if i've noticed that the birds when they're out far they want it loud just to draw them in and then as they're coming in you just gotta decrease the volume with them and i'll show them how to run the mp3 but usually it's just turn off and on the box and you're good to go um but i always have to tell them like look when i'm here i can't control what you guys do because uh, for guiding snow geese you probably have experienced that a lot of guys the specs play way too nice during snow goose season. <laughs> yeah they do and they can be really tempting for a lot of people especially when they get mixed in with snow geese because then it's easy if if i were to call the shot and there's eight packets uh specs right in front of us and 40 blues and snows behind them it it wouldn't be hard for an oopsie to happen and someone purposely picks out the spec so I, i'll tell them right from the get go. Look, if there's specs in front of the snows. We are not shooting until the specs pass. Like I'm not going to take the chance. Right. Then when I break for lunch, I tell them like, look, I can't control what you do. But if they're, if you guys happen to shoot something that is not a snow a Ross or a blue, I can't tell you what to do with it because I can't tell you to just go want and waste, but it cannot be in my spread. If I come back and there is a bird out of season, my spread, the hunt is over like no ifs ands or buts like I am not going to be responsible for that. So what I
2: usually do like if I take the same thing if if client wants to stay in the blind or in the field while I go to lunch they can do that they're on their own. Um I always say just shoot white, you know, that yep. you know just don't even don't even play just shoot white and I always say in the event that somebody does fuck up and you shoot a non-target bird I can't tell you what to do. Um, here's what I recommend. <laughs> here's yeah. what I recommend. I recommend that you retrieve that bird, you keep that bird in your possession. In the event that a game warden comes and checks us, before you even reach for your wallet to get your j- license, you should present that bird and say, we fucked up.
1: 100%.
2: This is Because if you hide it, CEO comes out, 99.9% chance he already knows. He saw you yeah. do it. That's why he's coming out, and he's gonna—he's not even gonna mention that till the very last thing, and then he's gonna say, yep. "So what about that spec you guy's shot?" <laughs> and now you're in yeah. deep shit. So just volunteer the information. You may still get a ticket, but there is a chance he's just gonna take the bird as long as you were good on everything else and nobody was a dick and he's having a good day, there's a, there's a fighting chance. He may just take it, give you a tongue lashing, maybe a written warning, but you might get a ticket. Even, even if Uh, he's nice, even if you're nice, you may still get a ticket and, uh, and you can't even be mad about it because you, you broke the law. I mean, you did, you didn't do your due diligence. So um, that is on you. Um, but know that he could do much worse than just give you a ticket. Absolutely. You could lose your gun. You could lose all of it. So that's, yeah, I'm the same thing. I don't tell them what to do. I can only give them a recommendation, whatever they want. At that point, it's their decision. You want to go mud stomp that thing in the swamp? I'm not going to tell you not to. I advise against it, but that's your decision. You want to take that chance? That's up to you. Because if you do do that and the CO does see you do it, (laughs) <laughs> you're not getting any leniency he's gonna throw no. he's throwing the book at you 100 percent. and
1: then it's probably gonna lead to searching more than
2: oh, know, yeah. oh yeah probably oh, yeah you're gonna want
1: him to just because he's gonna think okay now if these guys are hiding a speck, now what else are they hiding did they shoot some ducks 100
2: you know, percent. he's I mean, gonna go can... through your entire truck he's going through everything he'll check every shell you
1: got he, yeah he, yeah exactly your hunts it doesn't take much to hide a duck especially when you're out goose hunting you know typically you have a lot of bigger gear that you can stow things in so i mean they're going to do their due diligence right for sure right
2: as they should you know and, and oh,
1: absolutely. you know you hear
2: a lot of people like oh careful there's mr green jeans is out and about and i'm always like good that means people are going to be hopefully following the letter of the law i mean that's yeah that's good this, uh, a game warden is not a bad thing. game warden is only a no. bad thing if you plan on doing bad things. <laughs>
1: exactly. If you're scared of a game warden, then you're probably doing something you shouldn't exactly. be doing out there.
2: And, you know, they're just trying to protect the resource, the resource that you love so much, that that's why you're out here doing and spending thousands and thousands of dollars every year and pursuing. You know, yeah. if there weren't for game wardens, you wouldn't have much game because people... We all know what would happen left unchecked. Yeah. People are greedy, and they would destroy the resource. So, um, I like seeing them. I, I've n- I've never been mad about seeing the the CEO. So that's, that's my that's my definitely, stance definitely on that. Out there. But so then, once the snow goose season is, then you head back up to
1: Lake of the Woods and start fishing. Yep. Then my gear turns towards walleye. I I am a musky freak, just like my partner. Not nearly as head over teals and head over heels (laughs) into it. Um, the the reason our business and our partnership works so well is, uh, you know, for, especially our Lake, the woods, the difference between Lake, the woods and Mille Lacs is Lake, the woods. We offer a cast and blast package on top of it as well. So we will take people out walleye fishing or fishing for muskie if they want to do that, whether that's trolling, or if we can get access to suckers, uh, for Canada, we'll get live suckers and go jigging for them as well. Um, can, you, we will have, use can you have
2: light bait in Canada? I didn't think you could have live bait in Canada. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're asking the right guy because I gotta, I have to deal with it daily. Um, the, the way Canada works right now is uh, at least Ontario, because that's the waters I go into from the northwest angle, um, it is no bait except for plastic bait or artificial bait uh, in Canada unless – you buy it in Canada, and the thing with that uh, is, whatever you do buy in Canada, they'll give you a receipt for, and you have to hang on to that receipt because if you do get stopped, and if you cannot present that receipt, they're just going to automatically assume that you brought it from the U.S. and now you're in an import violation.
2: There you go. So now
1: you're looking at different uh, sanctions that can happen. That it might just be a simple ticket, and it is strict enough and harsh enough to where they could tell you okay hop in our boat we're telling you okay, your boat is now in our possession Eesh. um so it's not a game people want to play i do know there were guys running bait up but that's you know a risk that they're, they're willing to take
2: well that uh, goes right back to what we we're saying with the snow goose <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. if you want to do it that's on and you buddy canada
1: that, the opp i mean they do not have a good wrap around the lake they are going to be the ones that they're going to come down really, really hard on you. There's going to be no slack. That's Um, what I've heard. Uh, I'd say they're 10 times worse than the Minnesota state troopers, Mm -hmm. uh, easily. Um, thankfully all my runs and run-ins with them have been very good, very smooth. Um, I have been lucky enough to where I have a connection in Canada that, uh, has caught bait in the past, but now has now, uh, life become licensed so he can, sell to local guides on the U S side for Canadian waters. Oh, um, very nice. And he's, he's very selective on who he lets by. And he's, I would say he is harder on preserving the resource than the game wardens. Um, oh, that's good. And I love it. Um, I've had clients that don't love it, but when I get bait from him, I play by his rules and his rules and my rules really coincide. Well, uh, we don't keep any fish over 18 inches. Um, being a guide, especially on a body of water, we don't have like ducks migrating birds to where we can just burn out those birds. And then then two days later, get a new group of birds to go back into and shoot up these fish, everything 18 inches and over for me is a breeding fish. So even though in Canada we can keep one over 18.1 inches, and that is in the future going to come down to around 17 inches. Um, I will not keep a fish over that unless we're pulling spinners. We get it in a gill, or the fish just sure. it hook, cannot whatever. go. Right, right, right. And yeah. then I'll throw it in. But other than that, if it can go, it is hundred percent going back in. And I refuse to keep a fish less than fourteen. Uh, just because any, I mean, if you go less than fourteen, yeah, you got some meat there to eat, but it, it's really not that much of a flight at the end no, of the day
2: it's really not <laughs> no that's so that's pretty small i mean i kind of do the same thing when i guide fishing to you know panfish. um you know i would never keep a 10 inch bluegill you know outside yeah. of you know, when i tournament fish and you have to you know yep and that's that's like it's tough putting a knife to good fish like i, I hate it you know so yeah, exactly. for, for me a bluegill over nine inches is going back and a crappie over i mean i'd like to say 12 but i've kept a couple 12 and a half so 13 for sure but i'd even 12 i'd like to throw those back cuz that's just a exactly. that's just a that's that's the next class fish you know and i know yep. and it's 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 funny to me it's not funny but it's you know you see these posts where Guys are like, oh, man, look at this. You know, they show a bucket of just giant crappies. They're all 13-, 14-inch crappies, and they're just so proud of themselves. And they're the same people that are going to bitch that there's just no big fish in this lake anymore when they're gone. It's like, well, what did you expect was going to happen?
1: Like, (laughs) And uh, the biggest thing with Lake of the Woods that we're kind of dealing with (laughs) is we're dealing with two government agencies on the lake, technically three if you count Manitoba, but they're so minuscule in it, and I never – fish the little portion of the Manitoba waters in Buffalo Bay. So I never really concerned myself with what they're doing with limits or what Like, I don't even think they do net surveys in Buffalo. If they do, I've never even remotely paid attention, but the Canadian side and the U S side has very two different opinions on the health of the walleye population. So being a guide up there is kind of like, okay, which side do you want to believe? Uh, the U S side says it's never been healthier, which I can understand because back when I was growing up on the lake if you caught three four fish that day that were over 22 inches I mean you had a heck of a day on big fish Uh, you're still going to get your limit of eater fish but if you had those couple that were over I mean you had a really good day fishing well now you can go out there and some days during the summer you can't catch a fish under 23 inches Hmm. so I think that's a very good indication like yes we do have a healthy population of walleye especially bigger walleye but now what we're seeing is a lot of those eater walleye those nice eater walleye are kind of harder to find because a lot more people I think are picking them up through summer winter and then just the normal die off just don't but, turn that
2: lake into Malax, man don't do it and that
1: that's what we're hoping so as as far as I go I kind of side with the Canadian side that they're actually worried about the health of the walleye population uh and their lake at least their side of the lake so i kind of lean more towards the canadians just because they've just to me seem like they manage their resource a lot better than the u.s they're not so greedy for the dollar at the end of the day they're there to make sure the resource is there right um and obviously with canada too you're not having the amount of people fishing it throughout the year the amount of ice fishermen in canada is very much a fraction of what you'll see on the US side just because when you do get it in those current areas, it does limit you on where you can drive. And so a lot of people don't want to go up there unless they know the area or they're guided, just because they don't want to end up on a spot where it looks like you can take a snowmobile down this channel no problem. But unbeknownst to anybody there's you know half an inch of ice yeah, for yikes. three miles. Yeah. Not not good. So uh, I typically side with the Canadians on that, but to, to go back to the bait to kind of come full circle uh yeah you you need the receipt it has to be that day you can't buy bait in canada and then use that bait the next day it has to be whatever is on the receipt but then in turn for us guides if so for a while we couldn't do shore lunch on the islands well if we got bait in canada and we couldn't legally bring that bait back to the us and if we did we couldn't bring it back into canada So there it became tough because to legally come back to the U S we couldn't have any bait left in the boat. Well, if I got five bags of frozen shiners, which are three dozen a piece or five dozen, five dozen a piece, sorry, that's a lot of bait, you know? Mm -hmm. So what, what it ended up, we had to kind of get creative and essentially like float our bait in Canada. If we did come back to the U S that was the only way we were able to actually do it while remaining fully legal in Canada. But otherwise, I mean, there was one day they had four Game Warden boats along the U.S. border just in the angle just to watch people coming into the U.S. and then going back into Canada to see if they're bringing bait. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> it, it, it's a tough world, uh, especially when you got to deal with, you know, the two different governments and the two different styles, and they don't always agree with each other. Right, yeah. Well,
2: that's your job as a guide to make sure you're uh... – Across and eyes dotted for sure.
1: Exactly. That's and tough. Well, I didn't. Know, the I learned
2: something. I didn't know that about the bait. I just thought
1: Canada was just all bait free. But no, nope. uh, if you buy it in in Canada, you're good. Which I, I get that they don't want to transport invasive species. Um, mm-hmm. The the main reason for it is they don't want you know people coming from south of the southern border of the lake, like, say, Bemidji, Walker, cities, Rochester, Wisconsin, wherever they're coming from, bringing bait from there onto the Canadian side of the lake. Right. But what confuses me is that you can go up to Kenora or over into uh, the Sioux Narrows in, like, Nestor Falls area and buy bait that typically is caught locally in the lake and then go on a remote fly-in trip into northern Ontario with that bait. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and and yeah and that bait may have been
2: you know whatever an yeah. escaped so bait fish whole... from somebody who bought it in minnesota in u.s waters it swam to canadian waters got trapped transferred you know i mean it could still happen i mean you're not you know yeah. the fish don't understand I mean, look at the,
1: boundaries no look at the rainy river during the shiner runs those shiners don't know what side of the yeah, <laughs> of yeah. the border they're Precisely. on you know but if you net them on the sportsman side, you can't go seventy yards across the river right. and start fishing <laughs> with what you just caught forty right. feet from that spot.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. So you ha- you can only use them the day you bought them. Yep. So what what if you have leftovers? What what do you do with them?
1: So, if they're shiners, it's the the way I kind of did it was you set them on your hook, you get it down there, and you. You set the hook because the shiners will fall off. Oh. <laughs> I mean, okay. you, you have to technically fish with the shiners. You can't just dump them overboard. Sure, but That's another thing that really confused me was how can we fish with them, but we can't dump them overboard. Because yeah. what they wanted us to do was if we got bait in Canada, they wanted us to call in, report our entry. And then with our reported entry, we were then able to go on to land. And they wanted us to go park next to shore go at least 30 or 50 feet in off the shore dig a hole bury our bait and then we could leave oh my gosh so yeah it was it, definitely an interesting game hmm. uh for the last two years as far as the bait goes on the canadian side hmm.
2: well at least you're up to speed on it <laughs> <laughs> well it kind of have to be because i
1: mean the boat is my the, that is my office i right. can't afford to let my office go up into canada and then i, I don't feel oh, like going my goodness. up to canadian auction to try to get my stuff back yeah no shit that would be terrible
2: <laughs> that would be that would be not not good oh no my gosh all well right, we'll let everybody know where they can uh, find you for the different seasons if they want to shoot ducks or if they want to catch walleyes snow geese yeah so- whatever
1: So starting, you know, Minnesota opener right in mid-May, we start the weekend before Ontario does, so it at least gives me a week in Minnesota waters, where I'll focus to Minnesota waters. Uh, Once Canada opens up, I gear up into Canada, just a lot more spots of fish, a lot more spots to get out of the weather, um, and just makes life a lot easier day to day. Um, I'm on Lake of the Woods up until the end of October through Halloween weekend, we start our Layout boats, uh, second week of October to mid-October. Uh, we're there, like I said, to the end of Halloween. And then from there, each year, I kind of look at Mille Lacs and gauge it differently with the weather on when I'm going to be there. But uh, typically mid-November, I'm, I'm down into Mille Lacs. And then from there, I get a couple weeks off and head, head to Kansas like I am this year down to Tornado Alley, which is just outside of Emporia and then I'm there till literally the last day, January 29th, and jump the nine hours down to northeast Arkansas, and February 1st, it's shooting snow geese.
2: Sounds glorious. Have you ever thought about, like, not having the two weeks off and going down to, like, Lake Pepin?
1: So I, I definitely have. Um, I think at least in the near future, I'm just going to focus on Mille Lacs, um, What what I need to do there to maybe just run the length of the guide season there. Um, I, I don't see myself, at least in, at this point, guiding Lake Pepin. A um, uh, couple of different reasons for that. But, uh, you know, things can change down the road. Um, I'm going to be looking at getting some different gear here as far as boats to be able to access different lakes. So when we get to the late, late season like this, when the ice is really forming, on these boat launches, if I do have to get in somewhere super shallow, I'll have the boat to be able to do it and still carry the gear. There you go. Um, so it it it's going to depend on kind of what we look at going forward. But for for the time being, my focus is Lake the Woods, then Mille Lacs, and then we'll kind of step it from there. All right,
2: sounds good, dude. Well, Andy, I appreciate your time. Um, if you want to throw out any numbers or websites, now's
1: your chance so you can find me or my partner on Facebook. Uh, we can do book. We both of us will do bookings for either. Like, um, you can find me Facebook, Instagram under Andy Reeves or, uh, Reeves fin and feathers. Um, I'm not related to Keanu. So I'm R E A (laughs) V as in Victor E S not R E E. So unfortunately we're not the rich side of the family. Um, but otherwise, uh, my partner i can look it up here because he's got a different kind of website name um but he does have a website let's see i remember right it's anglingaddicts.huset yeah so it's www.anglingaddicts-huset which is h-u-s-e-t.com and from there uh you'll see his main fishing page and then he does have a short selection just kind of briefly going over our our duck hunts
2: sweet well send all that to me in a message i'll put it in the uh show notes uh put links up so people can i don't know how many people actually go to show notes but if they do the links will be there and uh yeah then they can find you and book a hunt or a fishing trip
1: absolutely andy
2: this is great i appreciate your time
1: yeah thanks dale i'm glad you could bring me on and Hopefully we can chat again and hopefully get out hunting sometime.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm up here in uh, in God's country. I'm not too far from Lake of the Woods now. Uh, and I would like to try the uh, layout boat hunting. Um, most people Absolutely. listen to my uh, podcast, know not too crazy about walleye fishing, so I won't go over for that, but I could be talked into a layout boat hunt for sure.
1: <laughs> well, we got the ducks. It's an awesome experience, and my, my biggest recommendation is to bring a lot of shells.
2: Yeah, I have heard that. Like, uh, layout boat hunting will humble the best of wing shooters because... Very much. Birds if, are moving, you know, and
1: when, you're moving. <laughs> well, and when you get bubble heads, it's the second smallest North American duck, and they'll fly faster than 50 miles an hour sometimes, so you got to be on it. I love those little butter balls, though. I just I love Absolutely. those little the things. They're so cute. <laughs>
2: Absolutely, <laughs> they're pretty awesome. All right, Andy, have yourself a good night. Appreciate it. Awesome,
1: thanks so much, Dale. You we'll bet. see you. Bye.